Hi, and welcome to Nacio Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in our nation's capital. Today, we're talking with Cameron Dixon from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. And we're going to be talking to him about all the .gov domain issues and where things stand today. I think this will be a very helpful conversation for our listeners. Let's get started. Cameron, welcome to Nacio Voices, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, us too. So before we get into the issues of the day, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to work at CISA. Sure thing. So I, I, I came to uh, government service through the National Science Foundation's Scholarship for Service, which I think they have since rebranded as CyberCorps. So this was a, a program that continues today where the federal government offers scholarships to undergrad and graduate students to go to higher education and uh, to study cybersecurity, information security, computer science subjects, and then to place people or to, to encourage people to take jobs within government. And not just government, but also state and, and local government, although I do think that the bulk do participate within the federal government. Um, it's, not a, it's not a guaranteed placement. People have to compete for jobs. And so I, I happened to intern the year before uh, at the place that is now CISA and, and have, have been there ever since. So it's been nearly 10 years that I've been within the federal government. Part of the scholarship was a, a service commitment. So you're really obligated for a period of time. And I had every intention of fulfilling that obligation, which for me was a two-year commitment. And then leaving government, uh, I had good friends who, who continued to, to serve in various places in, in industry. And I found that you can make a real difference when you're in government. Uh, there are things that I can do here that I, I can't do, even as a, a contractor within government. And I've found that that's really satisfying to be able to work with the flag behind me. So I've stayed. And, and I don't know that I'll be in government forever, but I appreciate the opportunity to be able to serve the public in this way. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we talk a lot about the workforce problems that government's having right now, specifically state government. And, you know, one of those motivators since government really can't compete with private sector salaries is that desire for public service, you know, and I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of that because that really is important to a lot of people. Yeah. Cameron, we may have to do a separate interview just about that. You, uh, you're you hitting the NACIO message there for, yeah. uh, for, for, for workforce employees. Absolutely. I'm a believer. Yeah, that's Great. awesome. Great. So we saw a, a bio for you online that says you're a public servant technologist and we think that's a great descriptor, and I'm sure it resonates with a lot of our members as well. Can you tell us more about what that term means to you and how you see the relationship between technology and the public sector? Sure. Um, when people will ask me, you know, offhanded, what do you do for work? Or what they often say is, who do you work for? The response that I usually give is, I work for you. You know, I will say that I work at, but I work in government. But I don't work for government. I work for the public. I work to be able to increase people's security to make their lives better. And interest, interesting in my work, uh, particularly with .gov, is my core customers are not the public, even though the purpose of .gov is so that the public can be able to clearly identify that a particular online service is, is really government. But all the people who can get a .gov are my fellow government people. And so it's interesting to be able to try and understand their challenges and the, the struggles that they have. All governments and all enterprises to some degree have some higher or lower levels of bureaucracy and of challenges and of forms. And all of that usually serves a useful purpose. But trying to get to a place where I am allowing government representatives, government officials to not have to be experts in my subject matter expertise in security or in technology. They are providing public services in many different ways. 
So to the degree with which I can understand their challenges and their struggles and, and the difficulties that they're enduring to be able to provide service to the public, uh, the, the better I can try and fulfill that need through technological means and be able to allow them to focus on the things that are their expertise. They don't need to be experts in, in my field too. So I, I try to come at it from a perspective of looking at technologies or different systems or methodologies that provide use and utility for, for the public. Sometimes that increases their security. Sometimes that might affect their resilience. Or you know, sometimes with technology, it's, it's things like confidentiality. Uh, but all that's useful, and it's, it's, not, it's not helpful necessarily to look at it just simply technological. We provide these services so that, that people are able to have better lives. Understanding those purposes, I think, is really important to looking at it through a lens of, of technology. Yeah, that's that's really helpful, and um, I think a lot of our COs and CISOs and, and listeners really approach things in a, in a similar way. So, so thanks for that. But you know, we wanted to talk to you about .gov domain adoption efforts, which is something that obviously is a, is a big priority at CISA. So, I'm wondering if you could talk to us about kind of how that evolved and where it's going, and and what should folks who might be listening know about the state of where things are now. So, .gov is the coolest thing that I've ever worked on. I will admit that uh, when I wake up in the morning. Aside from my family and uh, do, doing some running, which I do enjoy, is I, I love coming to work. Um, I love being able to to do this thing because it's in, it brings together so many of my personal interests. It's not just technological. There is this really fun policy element to it. Um, it there's this economic aspect because in some ways what we're doing is we're rationing domain names. We're making sure that the right folks get the right resource. So some quick background about .gov, you know, it's existed for nearly 40 years. I mean, so it's, it's, it's about as old as the domain name system, the DNS. Uh, it is one of the first six top-level domains, so with com and net and org and edu and, and mil. For about 25 years or so, the top-level domain existed within the federal government was managed by the General Services Administration. GSA is the, the federal government's uh, acquisition and procurement arm, and they also do a lot of great work in, in technology. Uh, that work was, by law, transitioned from the GSA to CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is where, where I work. So the legislation uh, did a number of things, and for the first time put in statute that .gov existed, that there would be a, a program office that would perform certain functions, that there would be a budget. <laughs> Those are all really important things I know your listeners feel and care uh -huh. about. So the, part of my efforts have been to rehome the, the program, and, and the, the legislation, the .gov Act of 2020, provides the core aspect, you, you read in the legislation, for why Congress took this action was to provide better and more secure services to state and local government. It's pretty common in, in the public, in government, even in the federal government, and even sometimes in CISA, folks will utilize .gov as a euphemism to sometimes mean like the federal uh, enterprise, which is not accurate. DACAV is more than 85% non-federal in terms of the domain count. So we have about 8,500 domains, which is pretty small as far as zones go, but you know, less than 15% is, is federal. And so it was Congress's insight to be able to recognize that that's where the bulk of the current registrants are. That's where all of the growth is in terms of potential. So my, my work is really about ensuring that the technological substrate that all of these government organizations are building upon is secure, provides quality service, is resilient, 
there's, there's basically two core technological components here. One is the front-end registrar. So this is a web app that people come in and, and manage their domain. But the other part is this really important piece called the DNS. If the web app falls off the internet for a couple of hours, you know, not a big deal. It may cause some inconveniences. If the DNS fell off the internet for a, a period of a couple hours or days, that could cause some real challenges throughout government organizations throughout the nation. So ensuring that that is resilient and highly available is part of the reason that I think Congress took the action to move it from the General Services Administration to a security-centric organization. Got it. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating and certainly a whole a number of elements at play. I want to share a little bit of an anecdote with you um, and that I was recently at a conference that was kind of focused on local technology issues. Um, and someone in the audience who is a uh, member of, I think it was a city council somewhere, I'm not going to say where, but uh, they we stood up and we were talking about domains and they were really proud because they had just transitioned their locality to .org and, you know, thought this was a great step. And, you know, obviously listeners, I think will know that there is a big difference between .org and .gov. So I'm kind of wondering, maybe a two-part question. One, are there things that you all are doing just to kind of generally educate folks, maybe both in the state and the localities about, about the importance of .gov? And then the second part is if there is a, a, a listener out there who's maybe working at the local level who'd like to talk about .gov adoption, you know, what are their, what, what should they do? Who do they reach out to? What are the kind of the first steps that they should take? Great questions. So the part about education, historically .gov has never done a ton of outreach. Um, a lot of our work has been published online. There has been this sense of, uh, for the technocrati, for those who are in the know, for those who kind of with eyes to see, recognize natively that like, oh, of course we'd want a .gov. And so there hasn't historically been a government effort to like build the business case for those who may not who may not natively understand why it's so valuable and important. And so uh, one thing we've tried to do is to have high quality uh, targeted content on our website, which is the very fun to say .gov .gov dot gov period gov. It, hard to say. We may change that in the future, but it is fun to look at. <laughs> so we, we try, I've tried to put things there to build the business case so that when someone wants to know what is this, why is it important, and why should I do it, uh, we've, we've tried to answer those questions. Uh, and I know, again, I, I work in government, that sometimes what's most useful is to be able to share a highly targeted URL with someone to be able to say, here's the answer to your question. And not simply just like relaying an email they provided. You know, you have a canonical place mm -hmm. on, on the internet to say, this is where it's at. Um, we've also done that with elections organizations. So have some targeted content, particularly for elections organizations. I'm excited to do all of that better. Another piece is that CISA has regional staff throughout the nation. And so we have, we follow kind of the FEMA regioning numbers. And so we have deployed folks throughout the nation. Of course, the country's a big place. And so they're not everywhere. But we have tried to educate them as they interact or have the opportunity to interact with government officials, government agencies, to be able to say, hey, what's your website? What, what do you use for your email? Because certainly not everyone within a government organization knows what a domain is or, or a domain name. Those are, those, are, those are terms of art. So be able to say, what do you use for your website? What, what's your email address? Uh, most people do, do know their email address. You can say, hey, there's an opportunity to be able to signal more clearly to your users that you are really government, like you're official, in, in a way that is not easy to, be, to impersonate. Anyone can get a .com or a .net or a .org address merely for paying a few dollars. Um, .gov is free to register. 
And so we, we actually removed those fees about a year and change ago to be able uh-huh. to remove any, any negative incentives for folks to be able to register and obtain one. And so we, we have deployed staff. We, we've tried to participate in social media and, and let people know this is really useful. We just released a, a blog post that outlined basically the last year of our work. And it's a pretty long piece. There's lots of things that are in there. But one thing I think that's worth calling about is that we wrote a document that we cheekily called what to think about when you're thinking about moving to .gov. Uh, a bit of a mouthful, but this is a, this is a piece that is intended to, when folks have considered moving to .gov and they thought about maybe that's valuable, what does that actually look like? What are the steps that it involves? It's an interesting balance for us to play because in lots of ways, we are similar to other domain name registrars. You could think of GoDaddy is, is often the name brand. Namecheap, mm-hmm. there, there are many of these that exist. They, what they do is they help you to register a domain. Many of them do offer additional services, but their core function is to make sure you get the domain name. And a domain is like digital land. You know, these registrars, they're not the moving company. And they're not a general contractor that are going to come around and help you to transition or to move. Uh, each government organization's technology stack is usually a little bit different. And it's hard for us to necessarily generalize. But what we did here was to try and take a, an approach to make, make the transition work into buckets. There's definitely some technological tasks, but the transition to, to actually move to a duck of is not solely technological. Uh, it's also, there's pieces of communication. There are some internal organizations of how, do we, how are we going to manage this, this domain? Uh, how are we going to let the public know that it exists and that we've moved to it? Um, so we've tried to outline what some of those pieces look like. Putting better content on our, on our site is, is only one step. I'm excited to do some additional targeted outreach to government organizations. We certainly try and play a balance here. We don't want to necessarily do cold emails to say, hey, we're, we're the government and we're here to help. But finding the right balance through trusted partners that we can make those introductions, we're, we're happy to facilitate those. If someone has a question about what should they do, what is this and why is it important? The first step I would take is to, to send them to our, our website at .gov.gov, and it outlines the case for them. Great. Well, that's, that's uh, really helpful to hear, and we can certainly put the blog post in the show notes. And I also just want to reiterate that there are no registration fees anymore for .gov, so what, <laughs> don't want that to get lost. That's a very important point, I think. Yes, that's really important. And I love that your website is .gov.gov. <laughs> it's easy to remember. So, you know, of course, increased adoption of .gov domains has been a longtime NASIO advocacy priority, and um, that's not likely to change soon. So what else can states do to encourage more local governments to make the transition? And will the state and local cybersecurity grant program provide any help with that? Great question. So I think that states can help local governments understand the value proposition. Again, local governments, very close to the people, they may not necessarily be focused on their domain name. That seems like a somewhat trivial thing. But it is important because they can easily be impersonated by someone who, who just wants to play a joke or by, by some bad actor. So helping them understand why it's useful. The cost aspect certainly is, is useful to highlight. It's not, it, while a domain is free to register, it's definitely not free to transition. There's some real labor and effort and potentially cost that's involved there. And so helping them understand, and again, I mentioned our, our guide, that's useful as folks begin to think about what that move might look like. Another piece for us is that I really don't care if someone gets a second level .gov domain like Cameron.gov or state.gov. 
I think what's more important is that they use .gov, which many states do. And so states can consider how or whether they should allow local governments to use a subdomain off of their domain. So instead of Cameron.gov, I could be Cameron.Nevada.gov. That allows them to reap the benefits of using a .gov without having to register or maintain a domain. There are some trade-offs here because it does potentially mean that they have to ask the state to manage some, some DNS pieces, um, which they may or may not want to do. And in fact, the state doesn't have to do it that way. They could actually delegate the, the domain and not have to manage it. But figuring out the balance between a tech and policy for the state is worthwhile to think through. The grant program is a great new opportunity for those who haven't seen. CISA has released the notice of a funding opportunity for the NOFO that is, within the next four or five years, about a billion dollars. So not jump change here to be able to help state and local government, as well as tribal, when that's released later this fall, to be able to get the things that you need for better cybersecurity. And so while, again, the cost of a domain name is not present, the transition will be. And it is important, and it may be useful for government organizations to get a couple of consultants to help them to gather up what they're currently doing for their domain and to transition. That could also mean you know, transitioning. Often when folks get a new domain name, they will upgrade their website or they have a new branding or they will move to cloud email or, or hosting in different places. So it's usually an opportunity for someone to reconsider what their tech stack looks like. And that's, that's not usually free. Those are pieces that I think that there, there'll be great opportunities within the, the state and local grant program. Great. That's helpful. And, you know, NASIO is obviously very much paying attention to the state and local grant program. And uh, we're excited that might be a good opportunity to uh, expand some of the .gov adoption. So, so we're, we look forward to working more on it. Very cool. Okay. So any other programs or anything else ongoing at CISA that you'd like to highlight for us? Yeah, those are a few things I think that are worth mentioning. I'll mention a couple of things that we're thinking about within the .gov program, and then maybe shout out a couple of the, the other things that are happening at CISA. Within the DACA Act, there was a requirement for CISA to maintain what it calls domain requirements. Basically, these are like the terms and conditions that a registrant, a government organization, needs to abide by. It also outlines CISA's approach to how we evaluate individual requests. So this outlines you know, our naming requirements. It outlines kind of the general and specific requirements for, for government organizations, as well as maybe different types of organizations. It outlines who we will accept for what we call our authorizing authority. And this has historically been the highest elected or the highest ranking official in a government organization. We're trying to think through the approval via the right authority. Um, we want to strike the balance between it being too easy to get a domain where someone could impersonate a government and where a government organization decides, well, that's not worth the effort. There's some useful friction within getting a .gov domain and finding the right level is really important to us. What we don't want is to some, for someone to say, uh, I'll just go and get .org because I can just pay my $10 or $20 and just do that annually and, and it's done. Because there is a process. There is a, we really do conduct an investigation. We call it that, where we're analyzing the information that we've received to verify that the requests are legit. Because if someone who isn't a government is able to get a .gov domain, kind of the social contract of .gov falls apart. So we're currently thinking through revising that and thinking through what's the right authorizing authority. If a requester is in a position of substantial executive authority within a government organization, to what degree do we need to go, and we have confidence that they really are that, that person, that they have that authority, to what degree do we need to go to a parent government or to a parent government organization? 
So we sometimes see this within police departments or within sheriff's offices where, or, or, or some subcomponent of a state or a local government where they will come to us because they manage their own IT. They're not necessarily being serviced from a, a state parent organization where you know, that parent organization provides certain technological service. Uh, where sometimes we have responded to them with, no, executive director, we need to get your you know, higher authority. Those are pieces that maybe need to be managed at a state level as policy, that the, the state could say, well, if you want, if you want a .gov, you know, you'll, you'll come through it this way. So that's a thing I think we'll talk more about and get some more feedback, because I think it's really important to find that and strike the right balance, not have it be too hard. We also want it to be easier for folks to get the name that they want. There are some strictures that have put it put in place for our naming requirements. The DACA Act says that CISA is required to work to prevent confusion or potential confusion when someone sees a, a domain name that they think it might be something different than who or what it is. And so we know that if we push too hard to say, well, you need to be state, or excuse me, you need to be you know municipality or city state.gov, they may decide, well, we have a branding that's a little bit different than that. And we've used this domain name for you know, decades. Finding the right balance for that is also tricky. And we want to be able to allow folks to get the domain name that they want in circumstances where we can grant that to them. And there aren't, those aren't always the case. So we're working to revise our, those domain requirements. So again, that's easier for folks to get the domain that they want and that we have confidence that the right organization that's requesting it really is a government organization. The last thing I'll shout out about CISA is just we're offering a, a newer service, uh, which isn't yet available to state government, but I think the intention is that we'll do that. This is a protective DNS service that the MSISEC has offered, a, they call it MDBR. We're newly offering this to the federal agencies. This is, this is somewhat similar to MDBR, but has a more zero-trust-centric approach. And so being able to provide folks a, a security tool that actually defends their enterprise because it drops malicious traffic that is known but also gives the government organization some insight into what level of badness it's being requested it is really important and exciting. That's, that's a new effort that is coming out of CISA. To, again, starting at the federal agencies, but there's an effort there to be able to offer it more widely. Great. That all sounds really good. Okay, Cameron. So here on NASIO Voices, we always like to recognize that we are more than just our work. So we're going to ask you three fun questions about your life outside of the office in a segment we call the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So you're a self-described technologist. So I have to assume that like uh, Alex and myself, you are a science fiction fan. So do you have a favorite sci-fi book, movie, or show? Oh, tricky. So I'm not a huge sci-fi or... Uh, yeah, I I'm a music geek. Uh, okay. But there are books from Stripe Press that are some of my favorites. Uh, Stripe is a, is a company, but they also have a, a, a line of, of books that are I think I've maybe read half of these. They're all fantastic. One that might be worth a shout out is it's called Working in Public, which is about actually open source technology, but it, it aligns pretty well with the public sector ethos. Cool. Cool. I'll check it out. Okay. What was your best accomplishment during lockdown? Oh, good one. So I spent some additional time playing the piano. I, I love to play instruments and I almost mastered, but didn't quite finish Debussy's Claire de Lune, which is a, a tricky Wow. Song. Yeah, cool. very cool. Okay. And finally, fall is upon us, which means winter is coming. Are you more of a winter or summer person? <laughs> uh, I am originally from Las Vegas, Nevada. And so <laughs> Las Vegas somewhat ruined me on the sunshine. Uh, I'm definitely a winter person. I love cold weather running. I love the fall 
Uh, I love being in places where there's where there's snow. E- even even shoveling, it's not too bad. Interesting. Interesting. Nice. Well, I'm with you on that one, Cameron. I'm I'm glad to get my sweatshirts and jackets out this week. <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, Cameron, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us about uh, .gov and your work. It was really insightful, and we really look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you both for having me. It's great. I appreciate the work that NASIO does. Thank hey. you. Thanks again for listening to NASIO Voices. NASIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, or NASIO. You can learn more at nasio.org. And we'll be back in two weeks after recovering from our annual conference in Louisville, and we'll be talking about our new Deloitte NASIO Cybersecurity Center. Be sure to subscribe to NASIO Voices in Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer to do your listening to make sure you don't miss an episode.